How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Halftime now, Canada leading France 37-32 women's basketball quarterfinal. Canada had a nice lead. France responded with a 12-0 run. Canada still takes the lead into the break. Kim Gauthier, the leading scorer for Canada. With 11 points, Edmonton's Catherine Plouffe played uh, just over seven minutes, gets a rebound and an assist. Her twin sister, Michelle Plouffe, yet to see the court as Canada tries to advance to uh, the semifinals against, obviously, the very powerful United States team. Derek Druin has a gold in men's high jump. Impressive performance earlier Tonight, now the Canadian men's volleyball team, which has been a great story at the Olympics, going three and two. They will play Russia early one tomorrow. We're looking at 7 a.m. Edmonton time uh, against the Russians in the men's quarterfinal. That'll be a tough matchup to uh, talk about that and get some uh, Olympic memories. It is Terry Danilik, head coach of the U of A Golden Bears volleyball team. Terry, you're on with Reed. Welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing, sir? Reed, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm outside barbecuing and talking to you at the same time. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that uh, <laughs> you're able to multitask and include inside sports on that. Uh, now, tell me if I remember right here. Uh, you were a member, a member of the fourth place Canadian team in 1984 Los Angeles? Correct. All right. What, I mean, what do you remember? You know, that was the boycotted games. Do you, uh, I mean, I, I hate to, I don't, I'm not trying to downplay it, but the, the, how, how did that affect the quality of the field, do you think? Well, going into the Olympics, we were the fifth-ranked team in the world. Russia was the one team that was ranked higher than us that didn't come. Cuba was ranked just slightly below, but we had beaten Cuba to qualify for the Olympics anyway. Um, So those were the two teams that were the teams that could have been there that weren't there. Uh, We had won a a three-match series against Russia earlier that summer before the final decision had been made. So we finished fourth at that game. The two teams that could have been there were very considered about the same standard or slightly higher than our world ranking at the time so you know anything could have happened if they were there for sure okay uh you guys wound up obviously with a tough draw against the united states in uh, in the semifinal what was it like to play the united states in the united states at, in, in an olympic uh semifinal well it was it was one of those things we finished first in our pool which we you know was our objective and we had hoped to see brazil in the semis and uh Similarly to what happened with Canada and Italy yesterday, for some reason the United States didn't play their entire roster against uh, Brazil and lost in their pool play, so ended up finishing second, and, and that forced the matchup with us. Uh, back in 84, only, there was no quarterfinal. Only the top two teams in each pool of six went on, so you went right to a semi, and uh, facing the States in Long Beach in front of a full crowd, uh, 
you know, they, they, were, they were a really good team at that time and, and tactically much stronger than we were. Physically, we matched up well with everybody in the world at that point, but uh, tactically I felt, uh, you know, as a country, now that I've been coaching for so long, <laughs> I, <could say> that, <laughs> I felt tactically we were a little bit behind. Really? Okay. What, 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 what about playing a bronze medal game? I mean, so, I mean, the Canadian women's soccer team is saying, all right, it's a second chance. We want to bring home a medal. We did this four years ago. I know there are a lot of athletes, they might not always say it, to a media guy when the when the microphone is on, but a, a lot of a lot of them don't like bronze medal games. What were your feelings about it in '84? Well, I think you may not like bronze medal games if you've played in a bunch of them and never had a chance to, <laughs> to be in a gold medal game. Um, but I think if it's your first and only opportunity to be in a bronze medal game and to win an Olympic medal, I, I think everyone's going to be fired up for that. I think Canada will be disheartened, you know, for example, that they they didn't get by Germany today, but. Um, to, to be uh, to be in a bronze medal game and an opportunity to win a medal for your country at any point, I think that would be really hard to to say was a you know a bad thing. Terry Danilek joining us. He's the head coach of the uh, U of A Golden Bears volleyball team. Talking about some memories of uh, playing for Canada in 1984. We now turn our attention to this year's version of the squad. And, and man, they they started off w- uh, with with a bang. Beating the United States, uh, obviously s- some ups and downs. They, they challenged Brazil for a while until the Brazilians pulled away. Uh, I mean, how do you assess this, uh, this five-game run for the Canadian men so far, Terry? Well, I, I think just from a coach's perspective, watching them play, they've got good performances and different matches from different people. They haven't really, as an entire group, played well all together on the same night. So I'm really hoping that's going to happen when they play against Russia. I think the physical matchup against Russia is a good one for Canada, but they're going to need everybody firing on all cylinders. The last match that they had against Italy, I thought Gavin Schmidt started to look like himself. Um, Blair Ban, you know, playing uh, in the libero position, finally started to come around and, and made a significant difference like he did when he was a CIS libero too. But I think through the matches that they played to this point, they were really good against the U.S. I think they caught the U.S. a little bit flat-footed to start the tournament, but... Uh, not to take anything away from Canada, they were really consistent. And then uh, they played a couple of tough teams, and they, they didn't get a good enough performance as a team from uh, from themselves to, to beat the teams that they played in France and Brazil. Uh, you know, got a good break against uh, Mexico, and then I think they're back on the upswing now. So going into the match against Russia, uh, I think their chances are great. Um, you know, they, they lost to them in five in the Olympic qualifier in Japan, and at that point, Russia had probably their best player, Mazursky, who's not here at the Olympics. He was injured during the summer. So a uh, seven-foot middle player that uh, was probably the MVP of their gold medal match uh, four years ago. What, what does a coach have to do to manage the excitement? I mean, a long absence for Canadian men's volleyball from, from the Olympic Games. I mean, we've already referenced they explode back onto the scene by being the United States. Uh, do you think the, the coaching staff has to, you know, sort of manage uh, some of the excitement and, and the potential of what could happen here and remind the guys to live in that first point? You know, and Glenn's such an experienced coach. I mean, he was an Olympian with me back in 84. He was uh, an Olympian assistant coach with the French national team a few Olympics ago, and uh, he's coached professionally for a long time, so his management skills are good. I think he's got that part under control. I think... The guys have gotten through, you know, the, the, the big parts. They needed to qualify, which they did, so that's off their back. And they've now qualified for the playoffs, which really in the volleyball world, everyone I think had written them off to be the fifth-place team in their pool just based on world rankings. 
Uh, and so now I think everything that they win is gravy. And I think, you know, coming out against uh, the defending Olympic champions in the quarterfinal, that's, that's a big match. But at the same time, I think um, the, the, the match against Italy really showed what they're capable of, even though, again, Italy may not have played their full roster against them. I still think Canada did a really good job in that match. Is, is every Canadian a CIS product, Terry? Uh, not everyone that's there. Fred Winters, who uh, I really tried hard to get to come play in Edmonton, <laughs> actually played at Pepperdine University. Uh, the rest of the guys on that team all played at, at some level in Canadian volleyball, except, uh, well, at the CIS, other than uh, Nick Hogue, who he played Cégep, and then uh, his dad took him overseas with him, and, and he had kind of a, an upbringing within the pro ranks in Europe while he was growing up. Okay, well, that's been, I mean, you and I have talked about that before, how, how good the CIS players are uh, at volleyball. So well, what has to happen here for, for the Canadian program to, I mean, regardless of what happens this week, they might be able to get a medal, but regardless of where they finish, what has to happen for Canada to keep getting back into Olympic Games here? Well, I think the, there was a big gap for many years where there wasn't a full-time training center. Our 84 team was part of a full-time training center that had existed from 1978 on until 1984 and then beyond to 1986. And um, there were some decisions that had to be made about asking players to stay again. And the guys from my generation, we all except one, decided that we wanted to move on and play pro. But the, the, the full-time training center was the key because we, we have – we're geographically challenged to, to play a lot of good matches without spending a lot of money, whereas in Europe you can just drive across the border and play some pretty good teams. So that's, that's been the downside. In order to make up for that, I think the full-time training center is key, and, and Glenn's done a really good job of patching together a full-time training center group. He's got a, a bunch of young athletes that have played now at the youth junior national B team level that are you know, moving up in the ranks and gaining international experience every summer, and I think that's going to be the key. Um, you know, the CIS, our top teams have always competed well against the NCAA top teams, but then there seems to be a fall-off, and trying to find a way to keep that ground where those guys leaving the CIS teams are continuing to improve and to, to continue to gain international experience. And all of those things have to start happening, at, I believe, at the youth and junior level uh, in order for us to keep up to those top countries in the world. Right, yeah, I hear you there for sure. All right, well, uh, I'm probably keeping you from your your food here. Hopefully it hasn't entirely burned on the barbecue, Terry, but I <laughs> wanted to get I wanted to get your insight. Big moment for Canadian volleyball tomorrow against Russia. Really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, and we'll see you. Well, I, I won't see you, but uh, I'm guessing you'll be off at 7 a.m. to watch that game too. Yes, I will be, actually. <laughs> okay. okay. Have a good night. See ya. That is Terry Danilek checking in, head coach of the uh, U of A Golden Bears volleyball team. So Canada, Russia, 7 a.m., quarterfinals. So, yeah, we're uh, following the basketball. We've been uh, watching Derek Druin win the gold in the men's high jump, the Canadian women, the basketball team, up 37-32 on France at the half. Uh, been a fun day. A lot going on for Canada at the Olympics. The medal count is up to 14, 3 gold, 2 silver, and 9 bronze. 9 bronze. So... Terry mentioned a seven-footer in the middle out for Russia, injured before the Olympics. So, you know, maybe a little bit of an advantage there for Canada. The rankings do have Russia higher, number three against number 10. But as we often see in short tournaments, you can kind of throw the rankings out the window. You can always uh, text 630-630. This texture says, hey, Reed, congrats to Derek Druin on the gold when you were comparing him to the 
last Canadian gold medal 84 years ago. You mentioned the progression in the heights, but wouldn't the last guy have done it without the Fosbury flop? I would guess that he would. I'm going to have to look this up on the fly. When did that come into widespread use? I've, I think middle of the last decade, so maybe 50s and 60s. Uh, middle of the last century. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I last hope century. it wasn't middle of the last decade. No, 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 no not in the middle of the 90s. I can tell <laughs> you that much. Just give or me a hard time. Or 2000s, I should say. Uh, let me see when it was invented. The Fosbury flop is a style, and of course I'm just relying on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. which is which hopefully is accurate when it comes to describing high jump form. Yeah. Uh, it was popular, popularized and perfected by an American athlete, Dick Fosbury, first in 1965. All right. And whose gold medal in the 1968 Summer Olympics, that would have been Mexico City, brought it to the world's attention. So, so uh, there you go. Before Fosbury, most elite jumpers used the straddle technique the western roll, the eastern cutoff, or even scissors jump to clear the bar. I don't know. Those all which sound one. very painful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one Duncan McNaughton would have used in uh, Los Angeles in 1932. But yeah, good point by yeah. that texture, who says, uh, absolutely. The Fosbury flop sounds way more gent- gentler than like the scissors technique or the straddle roll or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the bar is in a little more, if you land on the bar, it's in a little more sensitive area of the body than your than your shoulder blades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, got a text here saying, Reed, you're missing a Super Jays game. Uh, I don't mean to sound sarcastic, but on a night like this, I don't care too much because I'd sooner follow the Olympics, but the Blue Jays have rallied from a 6 nothing deficit to lead New York 8-6 in uh, the top of the 8th. Martin has a homer and Carnation has a homer. Oh, Martin has two homers, pardon me, to Lewitsky has a homer tonight as the Blue Jays have completely turned it around against the Yankees. So i got a couple more texts uh, to get to inside sports on 630 Chad. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Well, the second half hasn't started well for the Canadian women. They were up five at the break, now in a 38-38 tie with France, 742 to go in the third quarter. Another free throw hit for Canada, so they do get back in front 39-38, but France not going away. Canada had a double-digit lead at one point. France fighting back, and uh, this one looks like it's going to go down to the wire. Inside Sports on 630, Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. This portion of the show brought to you by Northlands Park Racetrack and Casino Western Canada's most important horse racing event is almost here. The Canadian Derby presented by CIBC at Northlands Park. That'll go this Saturday, August the 20th. Uh, This is going to be cool, Kellen. Tomorrow on Inside Sports. Hmm. Scheduled right off the top of the show at 6.05 tomorrow, we'll be joined by the CEO of the Own the Podium program, mm. Anne Merklinger. So that'll be good. Yeah. That'll be very interesting. Mm. Uh, we will also be joined by the CEO of the running room, John Stanton, ah. the Edmonton Marathon, coming okay. up on yep. Sunday. So uh, I will be running the half marathon mm-hmm. Sunday morning, as I do pretty much every year. Yep. Marathon, done a couple. I'd like to do another one someday. Mm. I don't know though. It's pretty hard. I get I get very I get very much in pain. Is this your favorite I, event I to run pain. all year or is do you have 
Uh, do you have well, a favorite? I only, or? Usually, I only do two formal, like organized events. Okay. The this one and the Canada Day 15K, mm. which is an unusual distance. You don't find a lot of 15K races. It's usually you do a five, ten, or half, mm. or a full. Mm. So the 15 is nice, especially if you think you might want to do a, a half, mm. which is 21.1, right? Right. So you do 15. If like if you if you if you doing tens and you're not sure you can do the 21. Mm. Then you can do the 50. If you can do 51, if you can do 15, you can do six more kilometers. No problem. Oh, yeah. No yeah. problem. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, I, I like this one. It's a good it's a good track. You start at the Shaw Conference Center. You go mm-hmm. west. You cut down almost to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Turn around and come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty flat, yeah. which is nice because a lot of runners run in the River Valley. So you're doing climbs at some point in the run. So you get a nice yeah. flat course. So sometimes you find your... Your uh, times, your per, per kilometer times are a little faster, so that's cool. Cool. Uh, the Eskimos will be in Toronto on Saturday to face the Argos. They, uh, of course, the Eskimos beat Montreal na- last week. Could have won by more, but they cu- fumbled a couple of times on the one-yard line. Quarterback Mike Riley wants to improve that ball security. You know, again, we moved the ball well, and as you say, if we get three plays, it, you turn to go our way, but... I, I say if we don't screw those three plays up, you know, we, it's not like you, you need to sit there and, and say, man, if we would have got better luck on those plays, no, we, we got to create our own luck. We got to hold on to the ball. Uh, we got to finish those drives off. And that's, that's how football works. You can drive all the way down the field, but if you don't finish a drive off and you turn the ball over, then it's all for nothing. So, um, you know, we just got to have a little bit better focus when we get down into that part of the field. We've been good. You know, we've, we've been very good in our percentage of converting in the red zone and touchdowns, but last game was not our one of our better showings. So that's something that uh, we'd obviously like to fix. Did it look like on film, however, though, that the offense got back to the rhythm that you you need to have to yeah. be successful? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had some lulls. We had some some drives where we were two and out a couple of times, um, you know, and, and obviously we want to fix those. But I felt like we came out of the gates focused and ready to go. Um, you know, we marched down the field, had some great plays, had some guys break some tackles. You know, I mean, Darrell obviously would like to have that last play of the first drive back, um, but to get us down there, he did a, a ton of heavy lifting. He broke a lot of tackles and ran extremely hard, so those types of things are going to happen. He's trying to get extra yardage, and the ball just pops out, but he, he did a great job on that drive, and I think our whole offense did. We executed well. Um, you know, We put up a, a touchdown on another drive in the, second, or in the first quarter, and then in the second quarter, drove down and had one in the end zone that got called back, so we started out well again, but there's, there was those little dips and, and valleys that we got to push through a little bit better than we did. That is your quarterback, Mike Riley. You will hear a little more from him in the next half hour of the show. We'll also talk a little bit about uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. By the way, they were uh, fined again for players going on to the uh, center field logo too long for a, a road game. You're not supposed to do that because it leads to fight and stuff. Kind of, Kind of silly. Canada up a point, 41-40 against France. We'll keep you updated on that one. It, uh, I don't know if it's going to end by the time the show ends, but we'll be going well into the fourth quarter. That's for sure. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. We're back after the news. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Well, this is quite a game. France and Canada tied at 46. Two minutes left in the third quarter. Women's basketball Olympic quarterfinal in Rio. The Canadian soccer team lost earlier today 
2-0 to Germany in their semifinal. It'll be uh, Canada against Brazil for bronze coming up on uh, Friday. I had uh, Craig Forrest, former Canadian goalkeeper, on the show earlier to break down that matchup, talked a little bit about Sweden winning, and I uh, asked him, too, what he thought of Hope Solo, the American goaltender, her comments after the, they lost to Sweden a few days ago, and she said that Sweden played a cowardly game. I wasn't impressed at all, and uh, i got to think I say also that I was pleasantly surprised that the U.S. media jumped all over, too, because they, they seem to protect their superstars sometimes when they don't deserve it. Um, that's a comment that I expect from her. She's said things in the past. She's done things in the past that haven't been all that great. I know she's not a great teammate. I've uh, been around her quite a bit with the, with the U.S. team, with Canada's national team, with the qualifying, World Cup qualifying. And, uh, you know, Pia Sunhaga, who is now managing back at Sweden, she won the last couple of goals with uh, the U.S. team in 2008, 2012 clearly didn't get along with her and if there was anybody that was nearly as good as her they would probably draw her but she's a very good goalkeeper uh and that makes it tough um but uh, and they've been successful with her too uh even being as edgy as she is so uh wasn't happy with that uh, it's a core comment and uh, i think most people would agree that it was uncalled for and and teams uh what would you expect somebody else to do uh against the team uh, of the strength of the U.S. when you certainly can't go toe-to-toe with them. You do what you have to do. And like I said, I would like to see some other way to finish it other than penalties. But at the end of the day, um, you, you can't uh, say that Sweden didn't do anything uh, that uh, they weren't asked to do. All right, so that's Craig Forrest. By the way, you missed any uh, interviews. We had Phil Esposito on the show on Friday. You go to the Inside Sports page on 630 Ched. Calm. Canada up 47-46 in the women's basketball game. One minute left in the third quarter. I, I mentioned tomorrow we're going to have Ann Merklinger on the show. She's the CEO of the Own the Podium program, so we'll talk a little bit about athlete funding. I thought it was interesting listening to the Ryan Jesperson show this morning. I, I had to make a, a run to uh, Kingsway Mall for some supplies. Uh, <laughs> you know, some flares and shovels and stuff like that. So... And uh, they were talking about uh, Ryan and and you guys were I, I don't know how many of you were in on that we're we're talking about athlete funding, and I was inclined to uh, to call in. I, I imagine my audience is probably different. I probably have a lot more people who are very pro sports, want teams to do well, uh, understand athlete funding. Maybe you have kids who have played elite athletics. Maybe you are or were one yourself and understand the things that that, that have to be done to keep things going. Certainly there were uh, a, a section of Ryan's uh, listeners who were chiming in and saying, why are we uh, using uh, tax dollars on this? And we'll get some details from Ann tomorrow on, on what goes where and all, all that kind of stuff. Um but but I actually called in and I, and I made a few points. One of which was saying, uh, you, you know, I think there are some successful athletes who who uh, grab a lot of attention, and you might think, well, they got it made. They're they're famous, and uh, now now they're fine. As we get a basket for Catherine Plouffe, the Edmonton girl, Canada goes up by two against France. Um, that you know these athletes are uh, just rolling in money because they they win some medals, and uh, why are we funding them because they're taking care of themselves? Well, that's not always the case. And I made the point that there are stories about successful Olympians who, after the Olympic cycle is over, you know, kind of get abandoned by their their sponsors, or or you don't cash in. 
the, the way they thought they were. Now, I didn't have time to expand on that, and I was driving with Ryan. I parked at the mall and called in. I mean, there's a story here from February of 2015 uh, written by Sean Fitzgerald from the National Post. We've had Sean on this show, and uh, it, it's about the uh, Dufour-Lapointe sisters that may ring a bell. From Sochi, maybe it doesn't, because a lot of the Olympians in the lesser-known sports, you know them for five minutes, and then and then they're gone. So Justine, who uh, was 20, won gold in the moguls in Russia. Chloe, who's the middle sister, won silver. And Maxime, the eldest sister, was, uh, was 12th. So you had three sisters getting in the top 12 in the Olympics, two of them the top two. Uh, and Sean writes, and yet their freestyle freestyle team nearly ran out of money by the end of the season. They had to appeal to a Canadian reality television show for funding. And uh, Sean also writes, they've joined the chorus of amateur athletes whose fortunes failed to match the intensity of the Olympic spotlight. Um, they needed last-minute sponsorship from a tire company to finish their schedule. So the, the thing is, I think it's, I, I mean, look, here's the thing. If, I, I guess if you don't think our athletes should get any money, um, then you're, you're going to think that. It, 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 it's a personal thing. Certainly as a sports fan all my life, and I've been around university sports and amateur sports, the, the money has to come from somewhere. Now, there are large chunks coming from the private sector. There, there, there's no doubt about that. They do have sponsors. But yes, some of your tax dollars goes to elite athletics. It, it what it's a couple it's a couple hundred million dollars federally. And as Ryan made the point, it's actually kind of a drop in the budget, or I'm sorry, a, a, it is a uh, drop in the bucket when you look at the federal budget. But it it does come out of that. I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with Canadian athletes getting better. And, and look, a lot of the, and let's face it, we're doing better in the Olympics than we used to. But the Own the Podium program is one reason we're doing better, and it's because, as Terry Danik was saying, we need year-round facilities. We need to have home bases for teams. Where's the home base for the Canadian women's basketball team? Oh, it's at Edmonton at the Savile Centre, right? We need things like this to develop athletes. I, I, I don't think that we just dismiss sports as, uh, well, it's frivolous, it's athletics, it's entertaining, so we don't fund it. I, I do not agree with that. I think it's important to allow elite athletes or elite people in your nation to have the best possible chance to succeed. And sometimes that means public funding. I, 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 I really do. I mean, yes, we have to have programs to take care of people who are... Uh, you know, living with disabilities, who need welfare or, or whatever. All those kinds of things are important. But I do think you need balance in a country. And I don't think you say, well, maybe we could have had people develop to an elite level, but we're just not going to worry about them at all. I think y you have to try the best, and it's easier said than done. Maybe I'm being a bit of an idealist here, but should we not cater to everybody? Should we not provide opportunities for the best among us? I mean, if you're saying, well, don't turn a blind eye to the people who are struggling, I say, fine. I don't think Canada as a country is. Don't turn blind eye to the people who have the ability to achieve something great. Whether that's academics, whether that's medicine, 
whether that's the arts or whatever. And, and I don't think saying that person X, whether you want to talk about Kia Nurse or the Plouffe sisters or Christine Sinclair or Derek Druin, I don't think saying they are inspirations means that they are only inspirations to potential athletes. Uh, I, I think the values of working hard, of committing, of being coachable, of uh, being a good teammate, all translate to whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Now, let's face it. Results in sports are a little more black and white. What have we been talking about earlier in the show? We're celebrating Derek Druin. We're kind of saying Sean Barber missed his chance in the pole vault last night. Fair enough. It's it's a little more black and white than maybe trying to get your PhD or or become a movie director or whatever or cure a disease. It can be a little more black and white than than those journeys. But it's all about fostering excellence, setting high standards. And let's recognize another thing. These Olympic athletes obviously aren't going to be Olympic athletes for the rest of their life. They're going to take the values and the work ethic and the belief and the commitment from their athletic lives into their future endeavors. Some of them will stay in sports and coach and become executives or whatever. Others won't. They might become teachers. They might go back to university. But they will have that confidence and that belief that they got from being involved in sports. And, and I think that is important. And I think saying, well, screw it. We don't fund sports because it's sports and they're games and they're not that important. Personally, I think is missing the boat. I'm probably not going to change your mind if you don't believe that. But that's certainly how I feel. It is 843. It is Inside Sports on 630 Ched. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. with eight minutes left. Canada and France. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Well, it's looking grim for Canada. They're, uh, they're looking nervous. They're not executing. And France leads 58-52 with 6.15 left. In the fourth quarter, another badly missed three-pointer by Canada. France has the ball back, and this one has just spun off the rails for the Canadian women in their quarterfinal against France. We will keep you updated. Earlier tonight, gold medal number three, medal number 14 for Canada in Rio. Derek Druin in the high jump. Is it? Is it, am, I, am I overstating it to call it a perfect performance, Kellen Kennedy? I mean, he didn't miss. He never no, looked uncomfortable. No. Never looked like he was close to missing. Dominant performance. After Dominant. he had won the gold medal, he tried. He, 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 the, his best height was 2.38 meters. Mm-hmm. He tried 2.4 just to yep. try for the Olympic record. Yeah. Didn't make it. Didn't matter. Mm-hmm. He gets the win. So he comes through. He had a bronze in uh, London in 2012. Yep. The soccer team losing 2-0 to Germany in the uh, semifinal. They'll play Brazil for bronze. On uh, Friday, Sweden and uh, Sweden and Germany will play for gold. 8:48 inside sports on 6:30. Chat. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Really appreciate it. All right. So I want to I want to get to this piece of audio. This is from Friday night on a show on CKRM Radio out of Regina called the uh, Sports Cage. Rod Peterson is the host. He's also the play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Now I, I, I'm always a little iffy about doing this. Mm-hmm. Kelly, I, I I try not to be a troll. Yeah, I try to be professional. I, yeah. Let's face it, I don't always pull it off. I I know I can be a jerk sometimes, and I and I try not to to like 
be this way with other media guys because right. we're all we're all paid to have opinions and talk about stuff and 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 weigh in on things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I respect that other guys are trying to do that. Sometimes you might, uh, you know, glitz it up a little bit. Big three pointer for Canada to get back within three. Sometimes you know, sometimes you might. Sometimes you might make your opinion seem a little stronger than yeah. it actually is because you're on the radio and you want people to engage and listen and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rod Peterson is the play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, so he was he was talking about the Riders getting that big fine for uh, the, the the roster uh, problems that they had, having too many players around, right, right. paying them, and, and they're practicing all that kind of stuff. When this team is winning, you're not going to care. Somebody wrote in, Darren and Weyburn, about blowing thousands, tens of thousands of dollars and still losing. The, this, the, what'd you think? They were going to be 5-1 and one right out of the gate? When they're winning, and they will be, we'll look back and laugh. Show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. Show me a loser who plays by the rules. I'll show you a loser. All right. So that was uh, Rod Peterson. I, I found that interesting. Okay. Uh, when the Riders are winning, you won't care that they got fined. You know what? The Riders are going to get better. Yeah. Um, they can't be much worse than they are now. They've only won one out of seven games. Mm-hmm. They will lose in Hamilton this weekend. They yeah. will be one and seven coming to the brick field at Commonwealth next Friday. Mm-hmm. They have a snowball, less than a snowball's chance of beating the Tiger Cats, mm-hmm. especially now that they have Kalaros back. Yes. And, I, and I know Hamilton was up and down a bit against BC, but I, I, I think you know what I, how I feel about Kalaros. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. I think Hamilton's going to be fine. Um, I, it, I just, to me, that's a weird attitude. Well, when you, when they win, uh, the, 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 it's like the bad stuff won't matter. Well, here's the thing. Sports is a live-in-the-moment type thing. Hmm. Everything is nicely divided into seasons. So you always live with the result of that season as a fan. You felt mm-hmm. bad during one season. You felt good during another season. The Oilers are a perfect example. They enjoyed one of the greatest, the greatest seven-year spans in the history of the game. That always happened. You can't take it away. I know I'm no. talking to a lot of people who didn't experience that, but it happened. The last decade, horrible. Worst, worst decade in the history of the National Hockey League. One doesn't mitigate the other. They, they both happened. They're both reality. That's just part of the team history. I mean, to, what if I said to Rod Peterson, you know, after they won the Grey Cup on home soil in 2013, the greatest moment in the history of the Riders franchise, let's face it, I'll give them that, winning the Grey Cup in their home stadium. Mm-hmm. What if I would have called into his postgame show that, that night and said, when the Riders are bad again, and they will be bad, <laughs> you won't care about this. I mean, no, they won it. They get credit. Now, they cheated. They got caught. It's on their record. Yep. So, I mean, to, to say that you just brush this aside when they're they're good again someday, I, I, I think is misguided. Mm-hmm. Uh, show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. I don't get that. Well, I, I understand what he's saying. Okay. But how does it apply to them breaking the rules? I mean, they out and out broke the rules. Probably right. other teams have done this. I don't think they've done it to the extent the Riders have done it, at least not in the salary cap era. So what? what is he arguing? <laughs> it's gonna... Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Well, that doesn't justify cheating. No. I... Like, it, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't justify cheating. But it... I, I, I don't know. 
maybe I have to have my body dipped in green and white paint with the S logo on my forehead to, to really understand that logic. He went a long way around just to come back to where he started with the, those comments. It's just, it's, it's, you know, just, it, it's very, to me, it seems almost rambly a little bit. Show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. Show me a loser who plays by the rules, I'll show you a loser. So, like, he, he's, yeah. saying it's, he's saying it's okay to cheat because you don't want to be a loser. Well, that's great. Okay. That's great. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Grab Darian Durant's face mask and pull him the, to the ground so he suffers a neck, in, neck injury. You'll have cheated, mm -hmm. you'll get in trouble, but you'll have knocked their best player out of the game. I guess Rod would be fine with that. That Right? Mm. Show, show me a loser who plays by the rules, and I'll show you a loser. Okay. That You know what? The more I hear that, the angrier I get. Yeah. And I was trying to be as polite as I can to Rod. Uh, and I've had him on this show, I think, a couple times. I've only met him in person once. Mm -hmm. um, but he sounded really bad. He sounded really... Hey, hey you know mm -hmm. what? Sometimes I sound bad. Sometimes I hear it from listeners. That's fine. Yep. That's fine. Not everybody can agree with everybody all the time. That's pretty extreme from Rod Peterson. Yeah. I, I think. Show me a loser who plays by the rules, and I'll show you a loser. So if you're if you're losing, you should therefore then cheat. Here's mm. the thing though. The riders cheated and they're still one in six. Yep. So show me a loser who plays by the rules and I'll show you a loser. Well guess what? I can show you a loser who cheats who is a loser. They're called Chris Jones and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh that was that was pretty odd. It, it was confusing to me. I'm, I'm still confused by that <laughs> entire bit. But well, it is uh, it is some interesting logic for sure. This portion of Inside Sports presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right, or it's free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. It is 60:58 with 2:12 to go. France leading Canada in the Olympic women's basketball quarterfinal. Uh, I hope Mark in the newsroom can hear me because this game is not going to be over by the time Inside Sports ends in 90 seconds. Hopefully, it'll be over by uh, 9.05 by the end of his newscast and uh, he can have the update, or if it's not over, he can have the updated score because this is a big one, Canada trying to move on to the semifinal to play the United States. I want to thank our guests tonight. You heard from Terry Danilik, head coach of the U of A Golden Bears volleyball team, 2010 Olympic gold medalist in curling. Mark Kennedy was on the show. Scott Edwards from the U of A Pandas basketball coaching staff. He's the head, uh, head coach. He previewed this France-Canada game. Dave Campbell was on the show to talk Eskimos. He's also the producer of the program. And Craig Forrest from Sportsnet, former Canadian men's goalkeeper, broke down the Canada loss to Germany. The studio producer this evening, the one and only Kellen Kennedy. Tomorrow on the show, global sports anchor Kevin Carius in studio and the CEO of the Own the Podium program, Ann Merklinger, will join us as well. All right, they're in a timeout, 2-12 left. France up 60-58 on Canada. It is tense. My name is Reed Wilkins. Always great to bring you this show. I'll talk to you again tomorrow night. Take care.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.